I tried to use the bio one when I was getting gas the other day, and it didn't work. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I didn't try that. Um, might be considered theft, so um, even if it is just bonus points, but still. Um, so we've been, we've been working through this series on uh, spiritual warfare for these many weeks now. We've kind of, kind, of, kind of driving this train to a conclusion here over these next couple of weeks. And uh, the way we're going to wrap it up is kind of uh, addressing or dealing with uh, what could be best called contemporary issues in the world of spiritual warfare. So what are some of the issues out there that, we are, that are being dealt with? What kind of controversial things are going on that we should look at, evaluate in light of Scripture and come to some conclusions about? So that's what we're going to start doing tonight and it will probably carry us through next week as well. Um, so I've got some group questions for you to get you thinking about some of these contemporary issues. Um, and then we'll pull it together and we'll uh, explore some of them a little more closely. So um, I've got three questions for you uh, to group up with uh, three or four folks around you and just kind of uh, uh, look up some of these passages, kind of chat with one another about them, just explore them. Um, remember when we do this, it's kind of a, the environment we're trying to create is just an opportunity to have some open interchange with one another. Um, it's not about necessarily always having the right answer. just want to get you thinking and Learning to sharpen, I have iron, sharpen iron, you know, without uh, being intimidated or, or whatever. So uh, don't, don't be afraid to, to talk out loud about these things, even if you don't have a good grasp on it. That's what we're here for, because we all need to get a better grasp, right? So, uh, so talk, talk to one another, uh, look into these things. Um, the first one deals with Jesus' approach to exorcism. We several examples in the Scripture. We just picked a few of them here. There were Jesus um, casts out demons. I want you to just kind of look at these few examples and um, uh, kind of just kind of evaluate how did Jesus approach these things. Do you see any trends or is there any pattern or um, how does it come about that he gets to these situations and how does he resolve them? Um, and the second one is a common question, you know, dealing with can Satan or demons possess believers? And um, so I want you to look at a few examples of clearly possessed people and uh, kind of lay out what are what are. What are some of their characteristics? Um, what do they look like? Um, and I want you to think about what do these accounts have in common? What do these people have in common? Even though they look some, somewhat different, there are some commonalities, and that's what I want you to look for. The last one um, are, are some things that you hear if, you, if you've been around Christian life very often or you've read very much. You run across these ideas that people put out there, generational curses. I gave you a brief definition of what that is. Um, and these passages are ones that folks who advance this kind of thing will point to to try and anchor this as though it's a biblical idea. And I want you to look at those passages and uh, I want you to, to, to evaluate, does this, do these passages support this, this idea of a generational curse? Do you, I'm going to read this real quick so it's not confusing. Generational curse being the idea that the sins of parents can cause a, a curse in the form of satanic activity that can be passed on to their children. People who teach this, well, we'll get into a little more different, a little more in depth. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? What I, what I mean by a generational curse? Yes, no, I don't know, maybe. Okay, look at those passages. See if you, if you think it could be supported from them. If not, tell me why. All right, ready? Go, go. Ten minutes. About ten minutes. All right. Uh, so, did you guys get a chance to talk about all three? You got great answers from all? Uh, 
You're waiting on my answers. Okay. Well, we'll get to those. Um, so, you know, there's all kinds of... Uh, if you go in the Christian bookstore... Does anybody do that anymore? I guess people still do that. Um, you know, everything's kind of going online these days. But uh, uh, you find all sorts of books on spiritual warfare. And you wouldn't have to pick up very many of them before you start seeing uh, authors who are, who are talking about things like... Uh, territorial spirits and warfare praying and spiritual mapping and all these various forms of somehow going on the offensive and, and, and hunting down and encountering Satan and the demons and, and all of these strategies for uh, strategic advancement and uh, offensive maneuvers against the enemy and so forth. Um, and so all of these terms pop up like uh, spiritual mapping, generational curses, territorial spirits, uh, exorcisms and so forth. And It's all just so remarkably confusing. And so uh, our task tonight and then uh, next week as well will be to kind of look at some of these things up close and try and find some answers to make some sense of the madness. Um, You know, nine nine out of ten of those books and nine out of ten of those strategies, in my opinion, are uh, what I would call Harry Potter meets prayer. Um, it's kind of what it sounds like. Uh, you, you get some, some biblical prayer mixed with Harry Potter, and uh, you end up with these books and these strategies that uh, sound a whole lot more like Eastern mysticism and magic than they do anything that resembles Christianity. And um, people are, are, are so uh, intrigued by them. The speakers who go around propagating these things uh, mesmerize Christian audiences because largely... Uh, most believers are fairly ignorant to these issues, and so they hear these speakers come out and they quote passages of the, from the Bible, and they put these arguments out there, and it's very intriguing, and it, and it plays to our flesh in a lot of different ways. Um, and it's interesting, I remember, uh, very few things I remember about being a kid in church, but one of the things I remember is this series on demons and spiritual warfare in the end times, you know. It was, as a kid, I was terrified, but it was intriguing at the same time although I didn't understand it. So we want to make some sense of some of this stuff. And um, we'll start out by just kind of looking at this first question and exploring that a little bit. You looked at those passages, and I wanted you to look at Jesus' approach to exorcism and his encounters with demons. How did these things come about? And what did you notice about these encounters? Anything remarkable or unremarkable? Either way. What did you come up with on that one? Don't everyone jump at once. Thank you, Ashley. Okay, all right. So it wasn't a situation where Jesus was out hunting demons. He was in the house doing his thing and his ministry, and she came to him and brought this encounter. Okay, great observation. All right, what about the others, or or more about that one? What did you come up with? Come on, people, help me here. Don't waste our time. Yeah, it certainly was frightening to see these manifestations of demons, for sure. All right, so you've hit on Jesus' authority. And then once Jesus spoke with authority, there was no battle really, right? Uh, there, there was not much battle to it. It was Jesus spoke, demons left. That was the end of it, okay? In the synagogue, one of those occurred, yeah, okay? Okay, in some cases it was parents who, who had tormented kids and they were coming to Jesus looking for help, okay? All right, anything else you want to add to that? Uh, what I really wanted you to get the sense of here is, um, is we want to ask this question uh, at the outset. Did Jesus, does he model for us the idea of going on the offensive? 
uh, when it comes to demons or Satan, for that matter? Do, does Jesus model for us in his ministry what we have recorded in the Gospels? Does he model for us going out on the offensive and, and hunting demons and looking for them and, and actively doing battle against the demons? And you, you saw at least in those three passages, in none of those cases was that evident, right? In every case, what was Jesus doing? He was going about his normal ministry, which was okay, preaching and teaching the good news of the gospel that, that he brought with him and what was about to happen and calling people to repentance and faith and things like that. And in the midst of that, he was, he was healing people and doing other miracles that verified his authority to speak and to preach the, thing, the things that he was preaching and speaking. So it wasn't like he went looking. It was just he went about doing his ministry. And as he was doing his ministry, uh, occasionally he came into contact with demons. And when that happened... He didn't run from it. He didn't hide from it. He dealt with it. He dealt with it normally, rather specifically and very clearly. Um, and and he, had, he dealt it once and for all. I mean, he spoke and it was over. There was no real, real war and no real battle. Um, there was no place where Jesus is looking to find some sort of authority over demons. He doesn't particularly go looking to find out who they are. There's only one case in which he even asks for a name. Do you remember that one? Do you remember what the, what the deal was with that? Okay, he asked this demon, what's the name? And the demon says, Legion, for, there, for we are many. And the point wasn't that Jesus needed to know the name of the demon in order to cast him out or in order to gain some edge or some authority over him. Why did he ask for the name of the demon in that case? Well, what was the name of the demon? He just wanted the people to understand how how severely infested, if you will, this man was, right? This wasn't a simple issue of a demon. This was a, a, a bunch of them. It was, a, it was a really severe sort of a case. And so he just wanted to expose that truth. The reason that it's important is because you'll hear in a lot of those uh, um, spiritual warfare writers will, will, will you know, encourage you that we need to go out and we need to be praying against specific demons by name. We need to be searching out their names because somehow if you can locate their name, you can gain some sort of spiritual edge over them and, and gain some special authority over them in order to weaken their power and so on and so forth. And of course, we don't see any example of that in what Jesus did or what he said. In, in none of those cases um, did he have to go looking for them. They, he just encountered them when he was doing his normal thing. And, uh, and, and frankly, the demons, if you notice, they, they knew before anything started that they were done, right? It wasn't much of a, of a give and take. They understood who he was right off and that, uh, that he was going to and could deal with them. The only question was, it was timing. You know, I remember one of the encounters, I don't remember if it was one of these, but one of the demons says to Jesus right off, you know, what have you to do with us? Have you, have you come before the appointed time? The issue wasn't, can you deal with us? The issue was... Is it now or is it later? You know, that was the only issue. And so, um, and the other thing I wanted you to see in those passages is that Jesus didn't have any particular formula, right? There wasn't like this, this magic formula for throwing out demons, you know, whereas every case, you know, here's the prayer. You recite this prayer, go through these rituals, and out poof goes the demon, right? Um, he just dealt with them how he felt like dealing with them at the moment. You, you read a lot of this stuff out there today and you get formulaic prayers. You get, here's your method, step one, step two, step three, go through these things and out you know, goes the demon. Um, and that's why I say it's more Harry Potter than it is the Bible um, because it's what it sounds like is magic. It sounds like magic, doesn't it? You know, say this special prayer and the demons have to run. Go through step one, two, and three and wave your magic wand and say abracapocus or whatever you say and the demons have to... That, that's magic. That's not... That's not biblical ministry. Um, and it's so easy for these things to get mixed in. 
So in asking the question, did Jesus go on the offensive against Satan and demons, if we mean by that, did he go hunting demons and did he go trying to find them and cast them out and weaken their power and map them and all of that kind of stuff, the answer is clearly what? No, that is not the case. That is not what Jesus models for us. Now, there is a sense in which Jesus was on an offensive against Satan and the demons. In what sense would that be? I'm sorry? Okay, so when he dealt with them, he casted them, he cast them out for sure. But the very fact that the Son of God came in the first place was, in a, in a very real sense, an offensive against Satan, right? Because what was the condition of man at that point? Ruled by sin, enslaved to Satan. So the very purpose for which Christ came was to, to die as a living sacrifice on behalf of lost and sinful enslaved people that by the shedding of His blood and the full atonement that He made for us on the cross, we might be freed and released from captivity to Satan. So in a real sense, everything that Jesus did was, in a sense, an offensive against Satan. Um, everything that He did in His ministry, His preaching, His teaching, and ultimately His dying on the cross was an offensive against Satan and his demons and his power over humanity. Um, so, so when we ask, ask the question, did Jesus go on an offensive against Satan? We have to answer that by saying, it depends on what you mean by, did he go on an offensive? If you mean by that what you typically see in spiritual warfare writings, the answer is no, he didn't. Um, if you mean by that, did the Son of God come to break the power of sin and Satan over humanity by shedding his blood, then absolutely, in that sense... He went on the offensive. Um, so what we see uh, in Scripture, particularly when it comes to human beings, is, and we've seen this as we work through this, this uh, series on spiritual warfare, that the attention really is not on going on the offensive biblically. It's on the defense. Did you, when we did this with the spiritual armor that we've been working through, the breastplate of righteousness and so forth. And, and we see this like in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 16, verse, three, uh, verse 13. Um, you know, what does Paul write about this? He says, what are we to do? Are we going on the offensive? No, but he says what? Be watchful. That means it's not that we go hunting, but we're also not fools either that are ignorant. Uh, we're to be watchful. We're to pay attention to what's going on. Realize there's a spiritual war out there. Pay attention to what's happening. Uh, be aware of it, but not be obsessed with it. And, and go on the offense? No. Stand firm, right? We stand firm. He talks about standing firm in your faith, standing firm in your righteousness, standing firm in Christ, standing firm in the Word. You stand firm. That's, that's the issue. Um, in, in James chapter 4, verse 7, you know, another strategy that we've looked at a couple of times is go on the offensive against the enemy? No. What does James tell us to do? Well, submit ourselves to God and then do what? Stand firm or resist the devil. What does he mean by resist the devil? I mean, it's kind of an odd term. But it's vivid. What does it mean? Okay. Yeah, I mean, one of Satan's greatest weapons is lies and temptations. And we either can give in to all that stuff or we can resist. We can, we, can, we can push back against that kind of thing when the temptation comes. You know that. You have a choice. Every time temptation comes into your life, you can, you can, you can indulge or you can resist. It's easier to indulge than it is to resist. But the Bible calls us to a, a posture of re resistance. And the thing is, when we, when we begin, I think James is articulating here that when, you, when we submit ourselves to God first and our focus is on Him and we simply resist the devil, then our, our, our lives and our resistance actually becomes a threat to the enemy. And he ultimately does what? He flees. Okay? He flees. He flees. 
Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13, we saw this um, again. It's that same issue. Take up the whole armor of God so that when you've done all of this, you can end up doing what? Standing firm, standing firm. Take, which means take your position and, and you hold it. Um, so you, you see all of these strategies. None of them involve offensive going after demons, hunting them. You know, I remember early on in ministry, um, uh, there, I remember this family that had visited the church. It was a, it was a situation where the husband and wife had split up. And the, the guy was coming uh, with, his, with his new wife, and it was a situation where there was a divorce, and the kids were kind of back and forth, so they had the kids with them every other week. And uh, this, this dad had brought the, the, one of the, the children to me because he wanted to talk about something that was going on. And what had happened is uh, his wife, or his, his, uh, his previous wife, had gotten caught up in one of these uh, spiritual warfare, they're called often deliverance ministries. It was kind of sweeping through Charleston at the time. There was actually a big dateline show on back in those years and they highlighted this big deliverance ministry that was happening in charleston and um and, and they were following this group that really pervaded a bunch of denominations but a lot of baptist churches as well and they were going around supposedly casting demons out of people left and right and healing and doing all these deliverance kinds of things and uh, this woman had gotten caught up in that and um and, and i'll never forget that encounter this encounter with the husband because he thought she was nuts, and turns out she was nuts at the end of the day, uh, in a lot of different ways beyond that. But, but what I'll never forget is this little kid who was an elementary age kid. And this kid was literally terrified. I mean, he was at school imagining that he was seeing demons, you know, behind lockers and trash cans and around corners. And he was convinced that there were, he was genuinely afraid, genuinely afraid um, because of the influence of this kind of a ministry that his mother was involved in exposing him too and it was one of these ministries that was you know go after the demons and hunt them down and name them and map the city and find the hierarchy and you know all of this all of this kind of uh, stuff and i remember very vividly how that movement was was washing through some of our churches and causing conflict and so forth and uh, you know uh, i've been around town long enough to see that blow in and blow out um but uh, you know that the the fallout from that whole thing um was more than one marriage blowing up kids terrified i know one pastor that was knocked out of the ministry altogether after getting involved with that and getting involved with a woman who was also involved with that who was not his wife and um the 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 sinful fallout from that whole thing was a disaster all around but boy when it was going on you would have thought it was the hottest thing in town uh and it got all sorts of attention um but why does it have that sinful fallout because it's not godly and it's not biblical. That's why. It's people operating in the flesh for fleshly purposes, wanting to somehow gain power that they don't think that they have, uh, be able to... It really, in, in many ways, it's laced with arrogance um, and so forth. And, and the fallout has to, be, uh, has to be destruction and not something that's good. Uh, I'll never forget, this is an aside, one of the guys that was in my church at the time, he was a deacon, he had the same name as one of the people that was on the Dateline show um, that it had a demon cast out of him. And so this guy was getting phone calls all the time for the media wanting to know about the demon that was cast out of him. And uh, I said, well, maybe maybe you need to go see him. I don't know. Um, but uh, that, I, I vividly remember that. But So these movements are not, they're, they're not constrained to history. They blow through and they blow out. And you'll see them come back at some point and, and you'll run into it if you're out there and around. But, so, the, so to answer the question, did Jesus do that kind of stuff? 
No, he didn't do that kind of stuff. And we could take the time to ask the question, did the apostles do that kind of stuff? And we would find the same answer. No, they didn't. There were times when they encountered the demonic as well, and they uh, dealt with it or attempted to do so as they, uh, as they encountered that. So then uh, that moves us to another issue, this whole concept of territorial spirits. Do you know what I mean when I say territorial spirits? Have you ever heard of this before? Anybody? Okay, there are these folks that teach that, there, that, that, there's this, that there's a hierarchy of demons, that the demons have a hierarchy. Maybe we could imagine like some sort of a military hierarchy to where demons uh, get, get commands from their commanders and they're, and they're given authority over a particular geographic area or a particular family or a particular church or a particular something or other and that they're localized. Just think of it like the military. You know, you've got localized, you know, the, the little the little. Uh, peon guys that are, that are new, you know, the weaklings, and then you've got the higher-up demons, and then you've got the area demons, maybe a demon over South Carolina or over the United States, and so on and so forth. And, and, and they would play out this hierarchy, and they would argue that we've got to, as Christians, we should be praying against these particular demons over territories, that we should be praying against the demon of Charleston, who's holding people captive, that that if we pray against them and enough believers will identify them and pray against them, that we, that we can weaken their power and that we can in some way prepare the way for the gospel by weakening the power of these territorial demons. Now, you're looking at me like I've got like three heads right now. Does this sound bizarre to you? Or have you heard of it? Has anyone run across this? Um, it's out there. So where do people come up with this kind of stuff? I mean, where do they come up with it? Well, there's, I'll tell you where folks come up with this. They come up with Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10. Uh, if you're familiar with Daniel, um, this is the only place in the Bible where you can anchor such an idea. Uh, but if, you, if you're familiar with Daniel and Daniel chapter 10, um, the first 21 verses, there's this, um, uh, Daniel describes this, this uh, encounter he has with an angel. Uh, and this conversation between Daniel and the angel, um, some information comes out from the angel that, uh, that becomes the spark that lights this huge fire that's turned into this territorial spirit movement. I want you, I want you to read with me through the, uh, through the, the uh, encounter here, and you'll see where this comes from. Daniel says, well, I, I'm not sure if I have the same translation, so let me read it from the screen, Josh, and I'll just go from there. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like burl, his face was like the appearance of lightning, and his eyes like flaming torches. His arms and legs were like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. Now pause. If you saw something like that, what would that do? You know? Um... That would, that would wake you up in a hurry, wouldn't it? Um, and I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me didn't see the vision. Okay? And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. Yeah, why would he tell him to stand upright? Because if you saw something like that, you'd hit the deck too. And that's probably what Daniel did. So the guy tells him, stand up. Um, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Yeah, I see that. Uh, then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard. And I have come because of your words. Now, let me just pause right here. This is an aside, a different story. But when folks say, you know, I don't know if prayer does anything. 
Um, this should certainly be a, a reminder to us that at least in Daniel's case, prayer did something, right? What does this angel say? You were praying and your words were what? Were heard. And the reason I'm here is because, because you prayed because of your prayer. Okay. The prince of the... And here we go. Now here's where this stuff starts getting sticky. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I was left there with the kings of Persia... And, and came to, uh, excuse me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. Yep, I can see that too. And behold, one, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke, and I said to him who stood before me, O oh, my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How, uh, 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 then it goes on to say, For now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. Again, one having appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me, and he said, O man greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened, and I said, Let my Lord speak, for you've strengthened me. But he said, Do you know why I've come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia, and when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. Okay. But I'll tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. Okay. So we've got this interesting angelic encounter with, with Daniel. Um, so he, he mentions some people here, right? He mentions himself, clearly an angel. He mentions another angel, a chief, he calls him, Michael. And then he mentions two other creatures. What were their names? Okay, this prince of Persia and this prince of, of, of Greece. Um, and so you have this, this, this text, and you have those two references. And that's the only thing anywhere in the Bible that references any names or that gives us any indication of any demons or names or anything. And, and there's no explanation beyond just the mention of those names. But just from that, uh, you get somebody like Peter Wagner, a writer from the spiritual warfare world and um, he, he talks about this thing uh, he talks about spiritual warfare and, and, and territorial spirits and he says this things like this Satan delegates high-ranking members of the hierarchy of evil spirits to control nations and regions and cities and tribes and people groups neighborhoods and other significant social networks of human beings throughout the world their major assignment is to prevent God from being glorified in their territory which they do through directing the activity of lower-ranking demons. And he offers a strategy for how do we come against these guys. And he gives three points. There's a ground level, person to person. That's praying for each other. Then there's this occult level uh, where we deal with demonic forces released through the activity of Satanism and witchcraft and astrology. And then there's this strategic or cosmic level that he says that we have to do battle against these um, hierarchies of demon, demons in order to bind and bring down spiritual principalities and power that rule over governments. Satan's hosts include territorial spirit demons that may be identified by name and we're to engage in battle with them by name through aggressive prayer, through prayer marches and prayer walks and prayer journeys and so on and so forth. They make them up. And he goes on to say there must be an air force that provides protection as well as strategic information about spiritual enemies. 
Okay. So you see they take the military thing and just run with it. <clears throat> so what are we to make of this stuff? What do you think? What? Yeah, Air Force, Navy. We've got the, the war demon, the water demons, and the air demons, and um, so what do we make from this? I mean, can we take that and expand it to what we're hearing from people like this? Is that a legitimate way to take a text and go with it? No. So what can we take from the text? Well, not Peter Wagner's, but the real text. What do we take from that? Well, not much, right? Okay, this demon, this angel mentions to us that there are demons. And he calls a, a couple of them and talks about the fact that there's a war going on. That's about all we can take from that, right? Um, he doesn't devise any strategy. He doesn't give Daniel any strategy. Daniel doesn't, from that point on or before, engage in any strategy of praying against, coming against, going after demons. In fact, Daniel isn't even aware of the situation until what? It's already over. It's happened and done with. And as we, as we read through Daniel, we see no, no indication that Daniel is to have any, any role in that whatsoever. Or anyone else's, for that matter. Um, we just simply have names. Um, the Bible simply doesn't give us any sort of a mandate or strategy to take on or to try and find names for demons or to try to break their power or to try to cast them out or to you know, do anything in that realm. Um, but you can see how people can take something very, very simple in the Bible and can build off of it this huge thing that, um, that really is just a man-made sort of a, uh, of a theology um, that really doesn't have a mandate in Scripture. And uh, we want to be careful with that kind of stuff. Be careful with that. Because, you know, people who are largely, uh, I think, one of the problems we have in the Christian world, and I think we all probably can identify with this in our own lives at some point, is that largely one of the problems we have is that the believers, the average believers, are just, just really untrained in the Bible. We just don't know our Bibles very well. I mean, I just don't know to say it any other way. And, and so what happens is somebody like Peter Wagner comes along, he throws out Daniel 10, and then he gives you this whole long deal on territorial spirits, and it just seems reasonable. And, and, and we don't stop to think, but wait a minute, that's, that isn't what was being presented in Daniel, right? And we don't see that being presented anywhere else. Um, so it's probably not right. Did I see a hand somewhere? It's the same kind of thing. It's the same kind of thing. Uh, people who who don't, don't understand the Scripture or who don't, who don't take uh, look, uh, an appropriate way of understanding and interpreting the Scripture, a literal interpretation of the Scripture, take some little thing somewhere out of its context and then build this whole movement or this whole theology off of it, and the people that are under the influence of that kind of a ministry are not trained in Scriptures enough to look at that and say, wait a minute, that's an illegitimate use of that text, and they just buy into it. You know, because they see it mentioned in a passage somewhere. Well, there's the prince of Persia. That must mean that everything this guy's saying about territorial spirits is true. Well, no, it's not. And, and the gold dust and some of these really um, bizarre supernatural kinds of things that are being claimed uh, are, are just are just nonsense. They're just now I say they're just nonsense, but I say that with a, I want to to not be arrogant about that. I want to say that there are there are legitimately probably very well-meaning, sincere people who are caught up in those movements, who are not, who are not um, uh, intentionally being foolish. They just don't know better. They're following leaders who, who uh, most likely have bad intentions. Um, and so they get caught up into that kind of stuff. Uh, and they're not trained enough in Scripture to be able to look at it and say, wait a minute, this is illegitimate. This isn't biblical. Uh, I'm following some guy's 
you know, thing that he's built, but it's not built off the scripture. So I think it's a lot of that kind of stuff. And it's a lot. I mean, there's territorial spirits, mapping, gold dust. There's, you know, I almost showed you a clip this past Sunday morning, but I, I, I didn't have time. This holy laughter thing that's going on where these people are, you know, in church services, literally, um, they're calling it uh, holy laughter, and they're saying it's induced by the Holy Spirit and indicative of, of the movement of the Holy Spirit in them. And literally, it's church services with people just doing nothing but chaotic laughter. Um, and stumbling around like they're like they're drunk, um, and it's all being done in the name of God, in the name of worship, in the name of the Holy Spirit, and, and it's just it, it, these bizarre things pop up so quickly it's hard to keep up with them. Uh, it's hard to keep up with them, and there's always there's always a segment of people out there that will buy into it, and um, and you know some of it is because you know people I think in general people. People see their need, and they, they need help in so many different ways, and they don't know how to find it. And when somebody comes along promising supernatural help, you know, people in, oftentimes, these movements prey often on desperate people. You know, I haven't found help with the doctor. I haven't found help here. This guy says he can do it. I, you know, if there's a hope, I'll go. And um, they'll, they'll just try anything. And that's what's so evil about some of it is it preys on desperate and hurting people that really just want help and what they our promise is that they'll get some miracle, but they often find that they get nothing. They get built for their money is what they end up getting. Yeah, you know, I, I hope, I don't think Pastor Frank and I say this enough. You know, our, you know, you should never take things just because we say them. I mean, never. There's nothing magical about who we are. Um, you know, you believe it if it lines up with what God's Word actually teaches. Then, then you can take it to the bank. But um, you can't take it to the bank just because I say it or because Pastor Frank says it. You know, our, our, our challenge to this congregation is always, you know, what we preach and what we teach and what we counsel, you test it by the Word of God. And if it measures up, then, you, then hold it and, and embrace it and obey it and, and apply it to your life. If it doesn't, then you have a responsibility to sit down and say, Pastor, I'm not sure I see this. And, and we can work through that together, you know. That's, that's part of how this thing should work. But um, it doesn't work that way in a lot of places, unfortunately. And... Uh, a lot of environments where it's just, hey, here's, here's my teaching. You know, because I've taught it, you should believe it. And, and the environment just uh, embraces that. And, and that's what people are brought up on. If the pastor says it, it must be true. I trust him. Um, so there it is. That's what I believe. Yeah, yeah. You go seeking that stuff out and you end up in trouble is what you end up doing. Um, you know, we talked early on. I'm going to come to you, Matt, next. Um, we, we, we talked early on about, um, um, you know, this issue of authority. And, and delegated authority, and ultimately, who has the authority to deal with Satan and the demons? Ultimately, it's it's Christ. It has the power, and what He did on the cross accomplishes everything that needs to be accomplished. And if you read Revelation, you see ultimately how God's going to deal with with Satan and the demons. And it, it's 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 um it, it's a plan that's in place that's clear. And and really, there's not much of a role for us in that regard, uh, other than to be watchful, to stand firm, to resist the devil. You know, flee from us in these passages that we've been looking at so clearly. You know, Ephesians 6, put on the armor and uh, all of those bits and pieces. Yeah, Matt. Please, yeah, you better pray for pastors. And we have a mandate to pray for pastors, leaders, to pray for one another. We have, you know, to pray for our, our national leaders and so on. Absolutely. We pray for one another. And we pray uh, that, that God would uh, give wisdom and insight, protect uh, from from um, the enemy. And, and we'll talk next week about this issue of, of demon possession and whether that's legitimate for Christians or not and certainly what can demons and Satan do what kind of influence can they have on believers and 
Um, once we get a grasp on that, then we have a clear picture of the kinds of things we should pray for for one another, uh, for sure. Yeah, and so the issue here is we don't go hunting demons. We pray for one another. Uh, we pray for one another, for the work of God in each other's lives. Um, you know, I'm praying for you that you'll be able to stand firm. I'm praying for you that you'll be able to resist the devil when he comes and brings his temptation into your life and his discouragement or whatever it is he brings. That you'll be able to stand firm in the battle this week. Those are the kinds of things we pray for in this regard. Um, and, and we should be doing that, absolutely. Yeah, good, good word on that. So, so next week, let's look at this issue of, of possession. We didn't get nearly as far as I thought we would tonight. Uh, possession. And then uh, we'll look at this issue of binding and loosing. Um, I don't know if you've heard that. You know, people... Um, you know, saying, bind Satan and bind demons. And I bind you, Satan, in the name of Jesus. And I plead the blood of Jesus over this, that, and the other thing. Um, I heard that just today. So um, um, so uh, from somebody way up, way up the chain in denominational life. So uh, this is not going away. So um, we, we need to talk about those. And we'll do that next week, okay? So let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, we are grateful for what you've done for us at the cross. We are thankful that you came. Uh, uh, on an offensive, you came to rescue us from the domain of darkness, and uh, you, you've given your life on the cross. You shed your blood as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. You died in our place, uh, paying the penalty that we deserve for our sin. And in doing so, you broke the chains of, of of sin. You broke the enslavement that was that we were under to to the enemy. And uh, you have, in a very real sense, uh, by what you accomplished on the cross, set us free. And uh, we are so grateful for that. We are so, so grateful for that. And we thank you for your love and your grace in our lives. We thank you that you've indwelt us with your spirit, uh, that you own us, and that you, um, that you from within us, are, are, are teaching us, convicting us. You're, you're directing our lives. You're leading us. You're giving us wisdom and discernment as we navigate our lives. You're giving us strength to, uh, to resist the devil and to stand firm. And, Lord, we pray for one another that you would continue to do that. Uh, pray for uh, the folks who are here tonight, even as they navigate this week. Inevitably, there is an enemy out there who is, is going around like a roaring lion, Peter says, and uh, seeks to devour, and he seeks to destroy, and he seeks to uh, uh, subvert your work in our lives. And, and he seeks to subvert our effectiveness for the kingdom out there in the community. So, Lord, I pray for my friends who are here tonight uh, as we pray for one another, that this week you would help us to uh, put on the armor to be able to stand firm in the battle, uh, that you would help us to have strength to resist temptation, that you would help us to push back against discouragement and to find and maintain joy in you. Uh, And Lord, we pray that you would help us to stand firm uh, as the fiery darts come at us and to be a strong witness for you. Uh, Lord, we thank you uh, for this. Continue to give us wisdom and discernment as we study your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.